This podcast is sponsored by Vox. Upgrade your internet to Vox Fiber today and experience all the benefits of consistent, secure, fast, reliable, and cost-effective connectivity. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and of course, all of the Kuro learners that are joining us here this evening. My name is Angela Shearer, and I work in the Kuro technology team. Before we start, just a little uh, bit of housekeeping. There is a Q&A button on the top right-hand corner of your screen. You can type any questions or comments that you've got um, as we go through the webinar there. Please do try and keep your questions related to the webinar topic uh, this evening. We will have some time at the end for discussions um, and we'll, we'll pose the questions that you've got to Toby. So this evening, we are very honored to have Toby Shapshak to launch the World of Work webinars. Toby is a technology journalist and an editor um, for Stuff, uh, an editor in chief for Stuff Magazine, and I'm sure many of you will have seen him um, on TV and on heard him on the radio and in a variety of media. He has got extensive extensive knowledge and experience in the role that technology plays, not just in our lives but in businesses in South Africa and globally. So Toby and I started chatting last year a little bit about how we could look at offering young people a glimpse into the future of uh, in terms of career options and start thinking about how we could actually demonstrate how technology has become the center of so many industries. Today, uh, all jobs will undoubtedly require some form of technology expertise. So it's really important that as young people, you guys start thinking about um, what this means for you. So COVID has taken away many things from us, um, but it has also shown us that it's very easy to bring the outside world into our homes so that we can actually continue sharing and learning. So that's exactly what we're doing today. We're using the technology, and this is going to be the first in a series of monthly webinars about bringing the world of work to you in your homes. So Toby's going to start off this webinar or this uh, the, the webinar in this series by taking us through a journey of how technology has evolved and what this has meant for us uh, today and what it means for us in the future. As Toby shares his story, I'd like to invite you, both parents and learners, to have a think about your journeys with technology. How does learning take place using technology? What have you seen your kids doing at home using technology? Um, how has this experience, how do you think this experience that you're having at school going to help you when you leave school? And if you've started thinking about your career, um, do you know what role technology plays in that industry? And how are you going to learn the skills so that you're ready? So, Toby, we are really excited to have you here with us this evening um, and for sharing your expertise with us. And over to you. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, everybody. And that's a uh... I think it's an, it's an interesting thing that I'm doing right now because I don't think I was particularly good at, uh, at school. I don't think I was, I was a particularly good uh, school-going person just because it's not really my nature. I, uh, I'm a bit of a rule breaker as opposed to a rule follower. And I only got glasses when I was 13. So for the whole of primary school, I never actually saw what it was going on in the classroom. I had no idea what all the people were talking about because I simply couldn't see the blackboard. And yet <clears throat> I got through school and I wanted to go study English literature, which is what I did. And I found myself eventually, the, and by the way, I want everybody to tweet uh, Facebook, Instagram. This is not one of those presentations where you can't look at your phone. I really believe we live in an age where we can all multitask. 
even teachers sometimes. So let's just look at the way the world has changed because I'm a guy who studied English literature. I got a degree in literature, I did journalism as a, a kind of <clears throat> secondary option. And I found myself about nine years ago running the business that publishes Stuff Magazine. And I've been running my own businesses since 2001 when I got retrenched two days after I came back from my honeymoon. But what I've been looking at for the last 20 years is how we deal with technology. And, and the essence of it for me is how we solve problems. Because at the end of the day, that's what all of this is about, isn't it? We have massive problems in the world, in our country, in Africa. And we have to solve these problems because somebody's got to solve them. And, and it is always the people in their 20s who do the most to change the world. The great names of the technology industry, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, all of them started these, you know, over a, a trillion dollar businesses from their 20s. And that's the kind of thing that, that happens to you, whether you like it or not. And what we really want to look at is how to prepare people going into the world. I mean, I, I didn't see the blackboard the whole way through primary school. It was never a part of my educational experience. And yet, because I read and I still read vociferously, that's how I self-educated myself. And there was no Khan Academy or any of the brilliant online resources. But let's just stop for a second, because we always hear people talking about the fourth industrial revolution. And it's a real buzzword at the moment in terms of what the world will look like and where we're going to go. And it's worth remembering that at the beginning of the 19th century, so 120 years ago, nine out of 10 people worked in agriculture. They worked on a farm, they lived in a small village. Most people worked for their family farm. It was mostly subsistence farming. There was none of the kind of big industrial uh, farming that we have. And you can see in the background, that machine is a thrasher. It, it was one of the earliest mechanical devices and it made people's time infinitely better spent uh, than, than ripping across the corn. And <clears throat> what, what really truly fascinates me is along came the steam engine in the 1800s. And until then, the most sophisticated thing in the world had been a pocket watch, a little pocket watch like that. I have my father's, which I forgot to bring up. And it's it just shows you what a magnificent and monumental shift it was from having a watch as the most complex thing in society or civilization to something like a, a steam engine. And of course, this was the beginning of the industrialization of the world as we know it. And of course, it started with the steam engine, but it started moving to a whole bunch of other things, which we think of as automation or working in a factory. And, and this is a, a Ford factory in Detroit, Detroit and somewhere in the beginning of the 1900s, 1905 or 1906. And what you can see is that just in terms of, of I mean, the world calls it blue collar jobs, the people who work with their hands, white collar jobs are generally, you know, people who sit at a desk and work on a computer or people in management. But blue collar automation began with this uh, production line that, that um, Ford invented and of course he's given a lot of credit for inventing the motor car but actually it was this production process of the 
production line that made it cheap and efficient and cost effective because you can see the guys are working on a on the chassis of the car behind them are uh, on the right are a crate of boxes and parts and screws and wheels so instead of them walking around place to place the the car would come and they'd work on it and then the car would move off and of course the logical extension of that is is uh, a Pretoria schoolboy's Tesla factory where all of the devices are actually robots putting things together. But around this time, this automation was really the kind of beginning of the second industrial revolution. And I think what we see now is really just a continuation of, of where we got to, because what it is, is first we learned how to automate the mechanical stuff. And then we digitized everything with the with the third industrial revolution, which I'll get to in a moment. And now that we've got all of that digitized, we can start to automate the white collar jobs, the digital stuff, because the data is in a spreadsheet or it's in a database. And there's something that we can ask artificial intelligence to do for us. And don't panic. We've, we've got a few years before we have to start panicking just yet. So this is a picture of, of a factory at the at the kind of beginning of the of the um, 1900s and you can see uh, men worked in car factories, women worked with very sexist stuff unfortunately in sewing factories and what starts to happen is the, the mechanical machines are replaced by these desktop environments and this was a drafting studio in the very early days and then it was followed by the third industrial revolution, which is really the advent of computer chips, the internet, mobile phones. And that started really in the 60s and the 70s in Silicon Valley as it is now. And, and it grew into a vast, vast empire. If you think about it, there is no gold, there is no oil in California, and yet California is one of the richest places in the world because it has Silicon Valley, Intel, uh, Facebook, all of these enormous companies, notably not uh, um, uh, Microsoft, which is based in Seattle, but Apple is there. All of the other big companies have their headquarters in San Francisco, just outside in uh, Palo Alto, and they have used this incredible piece of equipment called a uh, computer to get us to where we are. And along the way, people started noting, noticing that work isn't someplace you go, it's something you do. Because, you know, now we've discovered after a year of living at home that the easiest way to get things done is to just get things done. You know, we, we grew up with, uh, with this idea that you had to go to school to learn or you had to go to work to learn. And yet that is so remarkably different from, from what we have experienced in the last year. For us journalists, actually, it wasn't such a big change because we have been working from home or working on our laptops or working wherever we go. I would work at the Truth Commission. I would sit there with my laptop all day with it plugged in at the wall and I would work all day and it didn't matter if I was in the office or somewhere else. And the same for just about every industry, lawyers, bankers, anyone who, who works on a laptop in an office, it doesn't matter which office you're in. Microsoft Teams, which we are using now, I think has emerged as the most successful and efficient technology during pandemics or working from home, because it doesn't matter which office you're in, in your building or uh, in, your, in your home office, you're still there. And as a lot of you have experienced, the, the ease of the education through the system. So this is the, the, the kind of beginning of the shift towards something that, that we, we've seen in the last 
uh, 20 years especially, but it really started in the 90s with very basic Nokia phones. And this was what a computer used to look like, right? Uh, and when I spoke to your teachers last February, there were a couple of them that, like me, originally worked on these very basic computers. You can see it's got a Rubik's Cube on the back. It's got a, you know, Space Invaders in the front. The music of the day in the back there is, is an LP. I mean, who would have thought um, that would become popular again? And this is the smartphone of right now, of our era, because look at, just look at it. It is a small compact device. That is the iPhone 1 from 2007. This is the iPhone 12 Pro. It, that, that phone Steve Jobs is, is holding, and I, I went to a launch once where I touched his iPod. It's a funny story. Um, that device was more powerful, had a better connection to the internet, could take photographs, could forward messages, had a processor that was more powerful than the spaceship that put humanity on the moon. It's really been an incredible shift and everything from the web, that's what Yahoo looked like in 1993, everything has shifted to mobile, including the never ending cat videos. That's what telephony looks like uh, right now. Um, but uh, actually, I was in Pretoria last week and I took a picture of a, a certain incumbent telecom operators uh, uh, network center. Please don't laugh. That is the upgraded system. And in fact, telephony doesn't look like that anymore. If you're going to talk on the telephone, you're probably going to do this, which is this uh, this woman I saw walking down the street in New York about five years ago. I took a picture. There she was having a video call. She could have been using Skype, FaceTime, WhatsApp. Of course, since then, Telegram's come out. Facebook Messenger lets you make calls. There's an abundance of ways to make a telephone call through the Internet. And of course, later I looked at her book and saw it says where medieval meets modern, which remains my best description of of New York. We're all on the phone all the time. Now, thanks to the Zondo Commission, at least we know who he was on the telephone to. You know, the parents in this room have probably uh, have heard this joke and maybe some of the kids have, but the youth of today do not know the relationship between these two devices. You know, it's, I grew up with this as the music medium of, of my youth, of my teenage years. You know, you, you had to wind literally the, uh, the tape back in with the pencil. Everything is now based on our phone. And in fact, you don't even have to own music anymore. You subscribe to a music service like Spotify or Apple Music, and off you go. You can just rent the music that you want to look for. There's something amazing. You want to hear a version of Jerusalem. You just look for it on Spotify. Photography has profoundly changed too. This was the Nikon F4, incredible piece of photographic equipment. This was the camera that the, the American photojournalist used in the 70s in the Vietnam War to send back photographs of combat. It was a really, really tough camera. It was, you know, real time in the 70s it was like two or three days later. But all of the stuff that we have done in the world now lives inside our mobile phone, including taking pictures. In fact, you know, there I was in Moscow on the left and New York on the right. People don't take pictures of where they are anymore. They take pictures of who they're with. This was Nelson Mandela's uh, memorial service a few years ago. And frankly, I agree with Michelle Obama. David Cameron is not that impressive. And that was before Brexit. Just to give you the, the best illustration possible of how mobile phones have completely infiltrated our lives. 2005, this was the inauguration of the previous Pope. Uh, the German guy's surname was Ratzinger. And you can see there's just one guy with uh, a camera in the bottom. Fast forward eight years later, and the current Pope was uh, elected, this amazing 
uh, Venezuelan guy, amazing man, or Argentinian, sorry. And there is, everybody has got some kind of digital device. And you can see that this has fundamentally changed how we as human beings experience the world. We're not there experiencing the world. We're there experiencing the world and taking the picture so that people know how we are or getting a picture of our kid. I'm a bad one at that. But it just shows you how powerfully technology has been included in our lives. And, and part of the reason is because at once, once upon a time, that was what a portable computer looked like. The guy on the left is wearing a uh, an Apple Macintosh. In fact, I have one of them. They are the original computers from this era. I don't know if my image is still showing, but that's what a Macintosh computer looked like. And it was amazing because it was all in one. It had a keyboard, it had a mouse, uh, it had this funny little thing called a stiffy drive, and it was a breakthrough in terms of what portable computing was about. And you can see the guy on the right. I'm sure he could teach Eskom something about load shedding, balancing, you know, balancing of the load. But that's not what a computer looks like anymore. It's not a desktop thing. It's not a laptop. It's not something you pick up. It is a mobile phone. And these are the latest fantastic uh, devices from a string of manufacturers, Apple, Huawei, Samsung, the, you know, the top brands in the world, Hashingbeware. These are the devices that all of us have in the pockets, in our pockets all the time. And, and when I traveled overseas, and I traveled a lot during COVID, uh, before COVID, I very often never used my laptop for days because you can do absolutely everything you need to do on your phone. You can dictate messages, you can dictate emails, stories. There's a pro profound number of things that we can use with this different device. You know, my son is three and a half and I've been thinking a lot about the kinds of skills that will be mission critical for him to get through school. When I studied uh, journalism in first year University of Rhodes, there was the only people who needed to have typing as a, as a necessary skill for their careers or their jobs were journalists and secretaries. Four years later, when I finished my degree, everybody was learning to touch type in nursery school, in primary school, sorry, nursery school, that would be impressive. In primary school, people were learning to touch type. It became this completely important skill that you couldn't enter the job market with. And yet, I'm quite sure by the time my son gets out of school, he won't be typing on a lap on a keyboard. He'll be just talking to our technology, you know. And we see that with things like Siri and uh, Amazon's Alexa and Samsung's Bixby and you know Google Voice, uh, uh, sorry Google Assistant and Microsoft Cortana. All of these services are, are are nascent, emerging artificial intelligence services, which which are having to learn the most important thing that all of us humans learn, which is how to speak, how to communicate, how to understand our, our language and what we say. And of course, that's one of the big breakthroughs. And we, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence uh, in a couple of the, the webinars going forward. But just to remember that this is the way people see the world through these devices. There's a phrase in the industry called mobile is eating the world. Not eating, has eaten. Uh, there's also another one called software is eating the world, and that's true. Software is replacing so many of the things that you used to have hardware for. You buy hardware that can be configured to do different things. Where do we see that happening? Cell phone towers that are equipped for 5G, they've been equipped for 5Gs for a year or two. You just change the software to get them to do what you want. Just by way of comparison, that is the first personal computer that was made in the world, or one of them. There were about 200 of these very original Apple One computers that Steve Wozniak, the other Steve who 
launched Apple Mand, handmade himself. It's really, truly quite remarkable. I don't know how many of you uh, have seen these. They've probably got them at the office or at school. Your parents may have them. You may have them at home. They're filing cabinets you can see on the left, filled with reams of paper. It, it just doesn't exist like that anymore. There's no way you can have data that isn't digitized, that isn't part of a database, that isn't uh, uh, enabled for us to search it. You know why? Or do you want, I go to press conferences and people give me a piece of paper and I go, can't you email it to me? There's nothing, you can't search a piece of paper. Um, we have two of, uh, we have these cabinets in our office. We took a angle grinder and we burnished them down to the, the, the underlying steel. They look really cool and funky. We put casters on them. What do we do with them? We store the plates and the extra coffee. That's what's happened because everything has gone up into the cloud. And the cloud is just a fancy way to describe internet-based computing, cloud-based computing. The cloud is a server in Iowa or a server in Cape Town, uh, a server out near the airport in those massive Terraco data centers. This is what the internet is, and it's closer to us now because we have those data centers in Africa, especially good for the gamers. Um, and really, I'm really interested in what Kuro is doing with Minecraft. And we're going to talk about gaming and gaming as a part of education. And gaming is a career in one of the webinars. And there are people who make a million dollars a month playing games. I mean, my parents would never have believed me uh, if I had proposed that. But we need to understand in terms of what skills we're going to need going into this world. I'm a kid. A shy kid who didn't wear glasses till I was 13 and I and I ended up running a business. I studied English literature and journalism. And yet, because my mother, Hama, imbued me and my sisters and brothers with such pragmatic common sense, it just set me up. And I and and my business partner, Sally Hudson, and I, we've been talking about this. She has four daughters, uh, two out of school and two in school, and they are looking at exactly this is how this conversation started between myself and Angela and Sally about how how are we going to train people, our, our kids, what are we going to train them in the world to do? And that's when we realized that there's a lot of stuff that people need to know. Sure. We're not going to learn all the specific skills to load an advert on Facebook or Google. That technology is going to change. What we want to do is start to work with people's minds and understand that the most important skill, and we're going to go through this at length, is the ability to learn. Not learning something, but the ability to learn. And it's what Alvin Toffler, the great futurist um, who wrote a book called Future Shock in the 70s, said, he said the most important skill is the ability to learn. And that's been my personal story. Like I said, I studied English literature and journalism. My, you know, my job credentials were I got shot at in Fosleris and someone called me a racist in journalism. Those are your, you know, you've got to earn your stripes, sorry, your stripes before you can, you know, get your position. Now, so many of the skills that that you would expect, you know, when I was a kid, I went into journalism and, and the older people taught me all the skills. And, and that's part of the reason I feel so strongly about paying it forward. Nowadays, youngsters come into our business with a whole bunch of skills already that some of the older people don't have. And yet they, they I, call, I call your generation digital natives, not digital born freeze, digital native, digital, sorry, the world calls you digital natives. I call you digital born freeze because you've been born into a world where 
there never was a telephone plugged into the wall. All of the technology I grew up with, you know, the, tele- the television only used to start at six o'clock at night. My sister Kathy and I used to sit and watch that uh, that um, uh, pattern. I think it's, yeah, you know, there my clock behind me has got that TV pattern on it. So much has vastly changed, and we really think that there are a lot of very helpful skills that that people are going to need. One of which is, of course, is how to use. Uh, VR. I mean, VR is going to be one of the great new technologies, not just uh, in terms of 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 education, but designing. You could design something as sophisticated as an engine like that, uh, all in real time, sitting at a desk. Another technology I think that's that's very fascinating is is augmented reality. Reality. This is a this AR headset is made by Microsoft. It's called the Hololens Two, and you can see what it is. It's a surgeon doing surgery, and using that, you can see they've superimposed the images in front of his eyes, so you can see what he's doing. The the Hololens tracks your eyes, so if you look down or you look around, it'll scroll through the story for you. Knows where your hands are, works out where your hands are doing. And of course, surgery these days is people cut a tiny little hole and they stick something in, and you can see on the image on the right, the surgeon is looking. That looks like the the blood system. Uh, you can see the heart at the top there, and the, the the blue and the red. You know, he's looking at those kinds of things because on the picture on the left, you can see he's probably feeding a, a, a small tube orthoscopically into a vein to get to a part of the body. Now, this is just remarkable. You know, of course, surgeons practice and rehearse before they do something, but this is an ability to have what you're doing inside a human's body visualized to you so that you don't make a mistake, you know, that you can do things. And this is just profound. It just shows you how uh, things are going to be really, really uh, different in the world. And of course, people worry about the fourth industrial revolution and what we're going to do and how we're going to get ready. This is what this webinar is for. This is how we are going to get ourselves ready. Me included, believe me, in the next 10 years, the business model that we have been functioning on the last year, the business model of print journalism has fundamentally changed. We know that we have to change with it or we're going to be left behind. But just to reassure you, at the moment, we're kind of here in terms of the fourth industrial revolution and in, in terms of what we think is going to go. We're still experimenting like these guys in the 50s, experimenting with personal transformation. I mean, now you could just jump. I, I did this in Washington. It's so cool. You want to get somewhere, you open Google or Lime or any of the other scooters, you get a little scooter, you log in, they charge you like a dollar a minute or 50 cents a minute, and off you go on a scooter. I mean, this is this is the kind of experimentation that was happening about transport 70 years ago. My favorite of all of them, of course, is, is uh, the guy on the right in the unicycle. I mean, wouldn't you love to drive something like that with a brilliant gyroscope to keep it upright, I imagine. But there he is at a garage smoking a cigarette. I mean, that's something that's completely uh, disappeared. You know, people just don't smoke anymore. So that's just an introduction. We just wanted to wet everybody's palates, get you excited about the kind of stuff we're going to do, because technology has had such a profound change in the world, we've had to redraw Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Who cares about uh, motor neuron strengths and geophysical, uh, uh, geospatial system development, as long as we've got Wi-Fi, right? Um, anyway, this is a this is just an illustration of where things are going to be going. So I hope that's interesting. I hope people are are excited about the the webinar series that we're going to do. It's brought to you in association with Curo Schools and uh, Vox, 
And hopefully we are going to be able to equip people with more skills that they will need for living in this future world. So thank you, Angela.